0: Well, y'all ready for the word tonight? Yeah. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Thank you for your presence in this place, God. Move in might and majesty, descend in this place, come as close as we can stand. Now, God, as we prepare for the preaching moment, we confess today that we can do nothing until you come bless your people make follow the ground of the souls of your people that the seed of truth might find depth that a relationship might be established between some soul and the savior then lord help me your preacher breathe on my words and make them thine Rescue me from me. Fill me and empty me at your will. Love me and do whatever you want with me. You can be reckless without my permission. Hide me behind Calvary's cross. Make my preaching so thin in human wisdom that only the shadow of the cross can be seen beneath. Take your glory, but Master, please give us the blessings, we pray. We ask it all in the name of the pre-existent, incarnate, crucified, resurrected, ascended, and soon-coming King's name we pray. All the people of God said together, Amen. Amen. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts, the book of Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20 and tonight I want to lift up and line out for our consideration verses 7 through 12. It's a familiar story to Bible readers. We want to see what the Spirit has to say to the church regarding this passage of Scripture. Acts chapter 20, verses 7 through 12, if you found it, say amen. Amen. In the New King James translation, Greek text, you'll find these words beginning with verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to report the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. There were many lamps in the upper room where they were gathered together and in a window sat a certain young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep and as Paul continued speaking, he fell down from the third story and was taken up dead but Paul went down fell on him and embracing him said do not trouble yourselves for his life is in him now when he had come up had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while even till daybreak he departed
1: and they brought the young man in
0: alive and they were not a little comforted amen Uh, verse 9 And in a window, he sat a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep. He was overcome by sleep. As Paul continued speaking, he fell. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. With the help of the Holy Spirit in your prayers, I want to preach from the simple subject, Don't Fall Asleep. (laughs) Don't fall asleep. We have in this text today, the story of a young man who falls asleep in worship. I first read the text, it intrigued me, because out of the many and myriad pieces of information that Luke had to choose from to report the ministry of the Apostle Paul, he chooses to insert this seemingly superfluous information about a boy who falls asleep in church. I mean think about all the things that happened in the life of Paul that Luke reported and that was reported in Paul's life. His dramatic conversion experience on the Damascus Road while he was riding on his high horse and God knocked him off his high horse and blinded him so that he could see. Consider if you will how God used Paul to preach and honeycomb all of Asia Minor to set up churches wherever he went and How his ministry transformed not only lives, but turned cities upside down. How God used him to cast out demons. How God used him to heal the sick. What about Paul when he was on the Isle of Malta? God used him there. How he was bitten by a serpent and he just shook it off. And While his enemies waited for him to swell up and die. Not only did he live, but the same hand that a serpent bit was the same hand he used to heal a government official, proving that sometimes wounded healers make the best healer. But think about what it cost him to minister in the name of Jesus. He said, I bear in my body the very marks of Jesus Christ, how he was stoned and beaten with rods and whipped with a cat of nine tails, several times, forty lashes, save one, shipwrecked, a night, day in the sea, how he was beaten at Berea and left for dead, how he got back up and went right back in the city all of the many and myriad things that Paul had gone through, the things that he had done that God had used him in supernatural and miraculous ways and the things that were done to him the things he had to sacrifice on behalf of the kingdom of God and yet in the middle of all of that Luke takes pen to papyri and pens a story about a boy who falls asleep in worship that seems like an insignificant story but I think that upon greater investigation of the information, you'll discover that this passage of scripture is really peppered and punctuated with principles that when personally practiced, can help you get better uh, edification out of the worship experience, and not only that, can help you learn some lessons that help you live better after the benediction. Come with me, if you will, to the city of Troas. Bible says that Paul is on the last leg of his third missionary journey and now he's on his way to the city of Jerusalem. He stops in Troas and while he's there, no doubt, he's developing relationships with people. They're getting to know him and he's getting to know them. In fact, I don't believe that he's just developing relationships now that he's there, but because it's the last leg of three missionary journeys, I'm confident that his reputation had preceded him. The people had learned about him and had learned about the kind and caliber and quality of person and apostle he was. Right. And So there they were in the city of Troas getting to know one another. And the more they got to know him, the more they sensed the gravity of the kind of ministry that God had in this man's life. And after a while, people began to realize that inevitably he was going to leave. And somebody seemed to suggest that, well, since he's going to leave, it seems to us to a good idea that before the apostle Paul leaves, that we ought to have a last word from him, a final sermon or something. You don't let somebody like that in your midst come and leave without having a final word. And so that's what they did. They set up an opportunity for them to have a final sermon. So they, you can imagine the kind of buzz that was going on in the Christian community. The people were really conscientious about making sure that they would be there to heal Paul's last words because you always ought to pay attention to the last words of a great man. And so they decided they were going to meet in uh, borrowed Rome on the third floor of a house. The Bible tells us when they met. The Bible says they met on the first day of the week. And in this particular service, they were meeting on the first day of the week, but they weren't meeting during the day. It was an evening service. So like this service right here, Bible says that they were meeting. (laughs) They were meeting for the love feast. Love feast is when they sat down together as the people of God and ate a meal. And you know, sometimes my brothers and sisters, the church gets critiqued for meeting, greeting and eating. Meeting, greeting, and eating. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with meeting, eating, and greeting. (laughs) The only time meeting, eating, and greeting becomes a problem is if that's all you ever do. (laughs) Is eat, meet, and greet, and then figure out when the next time you can eat, meet, and greet. Because a church that just eats, meets, and greets is a church that doesn't understand the commission that God has given us. We're not simply here for us but God has dispatched us into the world in concentric circles of evangelistic work in Judea, Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world to tell the world about a living savior who's alive, loose and available. And there was another reason for this love feast as well. It had to do with the least of these again. They would eat the love feast, bring meals together and put them together because they understood that for those slaves oftentimes that was the only substantial meal they would have all week long. Uh, That's the church at its best. Look at the church looking out for the needs of those who are part of their vine. That's the way the church ought to be. Paul says that the church is the body of Christ. Whenever there's a body in the body, if there's ever a wound in the body, the entire body feels it and marshals all of the necessary resources to heal it that's the way a church ought to be when when there is joy in the body then you ought not be jealous everybody ought to be glad with you and where there's a wound where there's pain the church ought to marshal all the necessary resources in order to bring help and healing to the place where there's hurt and harm
1: the says they were at the love feast and there at the love
0: feast everybody was eating the meal, everyone was sitting down. I can see him, can't you? I can see all of them sitting down. They came from everywhere, climbing the stairs. Can't you see him climbing the stairs on the way up? And the Bible says that while they were climbing the stairs, there was among them a young slave boy whose name was Eutychus. I can see him climbing the stairs. He was climbing the stairs and he was there for the same reason everybody else was there. He was there because he wanted to hear a word from the famed apostle Paul. I can see him sitting down at the love feast, eating his field, the only substantial meal that whole week he was satisfied. And then he went and squeezed in and sat down cause it was packed like it is in this place tonight it was packed and he squeezed in and he made his mind ready to listen to every syllable that slid from the mouth of the apostle paul because after all it was the famed apostle paul he had heard about him he had admired him probably wanted to be like him and so he wasn't going to miss this one so he sat down he sat down and he slid right in between them. and all of a sudden paul began to preach paul began to preach and he was hanging on every word He intended to hear every word that Paul said. But the Bible says that Paul went on and on and on. And the reason why Paul went on and on and on is because it was Paul's last night and he wanted to make sure that everything valuable he had to offer, he was going to pour it in the church because it might be the last time he saw them. So he went on and on and on. It didn't matter to this young boy, Eutychus, because he was determined to hear every word that slid from the mouth of Paul. But there were so many factors conspiring to put him to sleep. Uh, See, the day had been long and his body was tired and his belly was full and the place was packed and the atmosphere was kind of warm and and the candles flickered with a kind of hypnotic glow and he could feel the specter of sleep coming across them but he he just shook it off you know he just shook it off and because he was determined to hear every word that slid from the mouth of the apostle paul and so he slid up on the edge of his seat so he could pay attention uh, but the day had been long and he was tired and his belly was full and it was tight and warm and uh, those doggone candles kept on flickering and his eyes got heavy like sandbags and his arms got weary, his shoulders started to slump and he, his head started to bob and so imagination suggests that he said I'm determined so he shifts positions and decides, I'm not going to sit here, so he goes and purchases himself precariously on the edge of a third-story window. He says, I'll sit here. This is a good place for us to sit. And he sat there because the wind, you know, could blow through the window and keep him awake. And so he he sits on the edge of of the window, and he's determined to hear every word that slides from the mouth of Paul. Uh, But the Bible says he was tired, and the day was long and his belly was full and it was kind of warm and the lights, you know, they was flickering with that hypnotic glow. And so he was about to go to sleep. His eyes got heavy again. His shoulders started to slump. His arms got weary. His head started to bob. But after a while, even with the greatest of intentions and dogged determination, Sleep just got the best of him, and he closed his eyes for the last time, laid his head in the locks of his shoulders, fell into a deep, satisfying sleep. All of a sudden, somebody heard a loud voice because somebody saw him leaning, and then they saw him fall, tumbling head first out of the window and the Bible says he tumbled down and hit the ground from the third story window. When Paul saw it somebody cried out they stopped having church and Paul went to the door went outside no doubt people came after him somebody came before Paul and said he's dead and Paul said move out the way, move out the way and Paul like the Old Testament prophet Elijah laid over his dead body I don't know what he said, I don't know what he did I don't even know how he did it, how long he did it but he probably breathed into him and after a while he backed off and he said don't worry, he's alive and so they picked him up Went back upstairs, kept on preaching to the wee hours of the morning. The Bible says that they took the boy home alive to the delight of the church, family, and friends. (laughs) And that's the story. (laughs) But you know, and I know, it's kind of hard to read this story about Eutychus without seeing a little bio data in the text. It's kind of hard to read about Eutychus, without some of us having some flashbacks, without some of us uh, being reminded of the fact that there are times in our own lives when we, too, have been in church. And with the best of intentions, we tried to stay awake. Don't look at me like that. But just like Eutychus, we were fighting Come on, sleep, and the reason why you were fighting sleep is because your grandmama told you and rightly so that no matter how comfortable the pews are, no matter how comfortable the atmosphere is, church ain't nowhere to sleep. Now, I I know we're kind of hard on him for being asleep in church. It's kind of hard on him, but, you know, I want to argue at least that at least he was in church. I mean, that's better than some folk who awake and they ain't even here. I mean, even though he was asleep, the the situation was packed with potential because at any moment he could wake up. And if he ever woke up, then he might be able to take advantage of the ministry that was taking place and the voice of God that was being spoken. He may have been asleep, but at least he was in the right place. He he may have been asleep, but at least he was in church. Now, my brothers and sisters, I think uh, while we're sitting here judging him for being in church, I think it's important for us to be honest about sleeping parishioners. Come on, can I take my time tonight? I think we ought to be honest about sleeping parishioners, because the truth of the matter is, Sometimes people don't fall asleep in church. They're put to sleep by the church. I'm just saying. Because you need some, some, some churches are so dead and drab and irrelevant and uneventful and stuck in the past. It's almost as if they really don't care much anymore. They're just going through the motions. They put worship in automatic pilot and the people just come to worship like pre-programmed robots. And come on, the ushers look like ghosts, the greeters act like they wish they were somewhere else. The choir squawks through unrehearsed songs. The preacher gets up and you can tell he ain't spent no time preparing and the people are just lethargic and apathetic and lackluster and lackadaisical. Did you not know that even boredom can be contagious? Sometimes people don't just fall asleep in church. Sometimes they're put to sleep by the church. In fact, what's even worse is not only are people in the church put to sleep by the church but sometimes whole communities are put to sleep oh y'all don't like this uh, by the church because whenever a church becomes so inwardly focused that it's only concerned about what's happening with them then you're in danger when it comes to the community of putting an entire community to sleep can I confess something? I can, let me just confess something. I've been at the church where I was for 27 years. But when I first got there, first couple of years, we had a couple of uh, few hundred people, uh, not even that many. And we were right in the projects. And I'm trying my best to, uh, uh, to do ministry. We were all trying our best to do ministry. And my church building, church building is situated right on the sidewalk. I mean, it's right there, sidewalks here, church building there, street right there. And I'm standing right in front of the church building, in front of the church door, I'm standing there uh, witnessing to a young brother in the neighborhood, poor zip code in Jefferson County. I'm talking to him, trying to get him to come to Jesus or at least come to church. And lo and behold, it worked. The brother looked at me and said, okay, Ram, I like your rap, you got a good rap. I'll come to church. But then he said this, he said, so where y'all meeting? Now it's a church building right here. Sign over my head, basically more about church. He said, what do y'all mean? I said, I said, excuse me? I said, you, this building right here. He said, oh, so y'all meet there? I said, yes, we meet right here. He said, oh, I didn't know anything was going on in there. And I got convicted. Because something is wrong if there's a church in the community and the community doesn't even know that you're there. That's a classic case of a church putting a community to sleep. But you know, my brothers and sisters, I'm not going to let the church take all the blame for sleeping parishioners. we got to take some of the responsibility. we got to shoulder some of the blame, but we're not going to show all the blame. Because, see, you parishioners got to take some responsibility for being sleeping parishioners. You parishioners have to take some responsibility and if you really want to maximize the worship experience and having a potentially a transformative encounter with God and then after the encounter leave after the benediction and make a difference in the world in which you live then let me just do a little practical preaching for a moment can I do it let me just share a couple things that will help you maximize your worship experience y'all y'all ready for this wake up and write this down the first thing in, in order to help maximize your worship experience is preparation let church say preparation yeah anything worth doing is worth preparing for come on you know it's true you prepare to go to work you prepare kids for school come on you prepare for entertainment come on you prepare for significant trips anything worth doing is worth preparing for and listen, my brothers and sisters, if you are going to maximize the worship experience for yourself when you come to the house of God, then you've got to learn how important it is to prepare before you get here. Yeah. Come on, I'm having flashback now in my own life. When I was growing up, my parents were masters at preparation. I'm going describe my situation probably some of you all can identify with it. My daddy would help prepare ourselves for what we would wear to church the ensemble. If it was dirty, you had to wash it. It was needed to iron it, you need to iron it. And once you got the ensemble ready, my daddy would come in and inspect the ensemble to make sure it was appropriate for worship. I better I not say nothing. I might start something when I say that. And then you lay it on the bed or hang it in the closet once it was prepared for worship and we would go to sleep at a reasonable hour and sleep the night away but when the first penciling light of day streaks across the horizon when morning came on a rope of twilight daddy would get up and wake everybody up out of the house and then he'd tell all of us to come into the living room so that we can get down on our knees and pray and you better not go to sleep while you're praying My daddy did that for a reason, because my daddy understood how important it was not only to have your clothes ready for worship, but to have your soul ready for worship. So in preparation for worship, we would stop at the feet of Jesus before we got to the house of God. I'm trying to help you. You better wake up and write that down. Because, see, some of y'all would need a choir to sing you up in. a Deacons to pray you up and a preacher to preach you up if you would spend sufficient time at the feet of God before you got to the house of God. In fact let me go you one further Don't wait till Saturday Walk with them Monday through Sunday And by the time you get here You won't need nobody to do anything for you Too many people come to church Expecting somebody or something in the church To set them on fire If you hang out with the Lord all week long You'll already be on fire And by the time you get here All we'll have to do is fan the flames Sometimes you don't get anything out of the worship service, not because nothing happened, but you weren't prepared for it before it took place. Am I right about it? But watch this. Here's the next step that comes if you're going to get the most out of the worship experience so that you could have a transformative encounter with God and then leave after the benediction to make a difference in the world. Not only must you prepare, but when you get here, you ought to participate. Yeah, you know, worship is sort of like a bank account. You get out of it, (laughs) what you put in it. Can I get a witness in here? So many people think that they come to church to see what God is gonna do. That ain't worship. You don't come to church and see what God's gonna do. God comes to church to see what you are gonna do. Most people think that the highest priority in worship is to come to church so that you can be blessed. I hope you get blessed that God wants to bless you. But your primary purpose is not to come to church to be blessed. Your primary purpose is to come to church and bless God. Oh, y'all don't like this because y'all been worshiping wrong all this time. Did you not know that worship ain't about you? You ought to tweet that. That's tweetable right there. Worship is not about you. It's about him. Worship is not a spectator sport, it's a, it's a sport of participation. You got to, you've got to get involved in worship. Oh, but I don't feel like praising God. Well, I haven't read it anywhere in the Bible where the prerequisite for praise is how you feel. Psalms said, I will bless the Lord. Will suggest a decision. Decision that have anything to do with how you feel. Your problem is you want to feel your way into doing when you can do your way into feeling. You don't praise God because you feel like it, you praise God because He's worthy. Is there anybody in here who knows that He's worthy? My God, yes, He is worthy. Well, why is He worthy? Well, Psalm 150 said, let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. So if you can, then you got a reason. Because if you can breathe, that means that it kept you all night long. And that's a reason to praise Him. Now you ain't got to worship like I do, all animated and loud all the time. That's the way I worship. That's the way I roll. You ain't got to worship like that. You don't have to worship like that. You can be silent, slip up a hand, tear come down perhaps every now and then. But... Even in the midst of different worship styles, I believe that if you're going to worship every now and then, something ought to come out of your mouth. The Bible said, let the redeemed of the Lord. Look, how are you going to come in daddy's house and never speak to him? Come on! After you greet him in prayer, you ought to thank him in praise. Is there anybody in here who knows that you got something to thank God for? Did you not? Did you not know? One of the reasons why uh, you come to church and leave the same way you came is because you come to church and the whole time your arms are folded, legs across. Too cute to say amen too dressed up to holler hallelujah, too bourgeois and acclimated to say thank you, Jesus, you ought to open up your mouth. If you can't open up your mouth because you're dressed up, then you're too dressed up. Can I preach it like I feel it? Come on, can I, can I share something with you? Can I share something Did you? Do? You, you know, uh, there's a difference between an alley dog and a lap dog. I know you're probably saying, where in the world is he going with this? Stay with me, because I'm going somewhere. There's, a, uh, uh, there's, a, there's an alley dog and there's a lap dog. And during the days of the kings, they would have lap dogs that sit in the lap of the king. Different from alley dogs, because in order for alley dogs to eat, they had to rummage for themselves. Had to go into alleys and eat whatever scrap they could get. But a lap dog didn't have that kind of stress. Lapdog sat in the lap of the king. He hadn't to worry about nothing to eat. He didn't have to worry about being filled with anything good. Because whenever he needed something to eat, all he had to do was hold his head back and open his mouth. And whenever he held his head back and opened his mouth, that was a signal to the king to put something in it. Can I tell you why you leave starving? It's because you won't open your mouth. You won't hold your head back. Because if you praise him, he will not withhold any good thing from you. Come on, see, you you got to learn that you can't come to church and bless God and get away with it. God's going to find a way to bless you back. It ain't in the Bible, but I still think it's true when praises go up. Y'all don't like this. Blessings come down. Why? Because the Bible says he inhabits, he hangs out in the praises of his. I'm almost finished with my little sermon, but, but I hope you don't think that when I say don't go to sleep, I hope you don't think that when I say sleep, I'm just talking about physical sleep. Because physical sleep is not the only kind of sleep. In fact, I think the physical sleep in this text is symbolically suggestive of something more substantial. A more substantial kind of sleep because physical sleep simply means that you're in a place consciously where you're not aware of what's going on around you. And if that's the definition of sleep and this is symbolically suggestive of something more substantial, that means that if sleep means you're just unaware of what's going on around you, it's possible to be walking around with your eyes wide open and still be fast asleep. Can I get a witness in here? It's possible to be walking around and not being aware of what's going on around you. It's possible to be saved and be asleep, to be a church and be asleep. And listen, my brothers and sisters, this is no time for the church to be asleep. God does not use sleeping churches. The world needs churches that are wide awake, alert and engaged. Come on, talk to me somebody. This ain't no time to be asleep. Hell is too hot. Heaven is too real. Pain hurts too much. The devil is too busy. HIV is still running rampant. Poverty is still hurting folks. Prisons are still being filled up. Come on, babies are still having babies. Folk are still trying to live without the power of God for churches to be fast asleep. Watch the text. The text says that he sat in a window, I'm almost finished, and went to sleep. And when I dug deeper in the text, I found something that was real disturbing to me. So uh, if you just let me tune in on the frequency of creativity. I I imagined what it would like to be there where the boy was. So I went to church that day with them. I climbed the stairs with them. I sat down at the love feast with the rest of them. I watched Eutychus eat. And then when Eutychus went to sit down, I didn't sit down with him. I sat in the back and I watched him. I didn't pay too much to the sermon because I'd heard Paul before. So so I just sat there and watched Eutychus and I was watching everybody else and I watched Uticus and then I saw him get up saw him walk over there and sit precariously on the edge of that window and I watched him and I watched the church and I watched him and I watched the church all of a sudden he fell out of the window and I said to myself when that boy went over to that window and sat in that window what in the world were all the adults doing? And you know what disturbed me? is that uh, the reason why that boy fell out of the window in part was because everybody else was so busy doing something else that nobody was watching the window. Somebody say, watch the window. Did you not know it is possible to do something good and miss something that's the best? To be so preoccupied that our children are perching themselves precariously on the edge of dangerous spaces, and we are so busy doing good stuff. Too busy going to church, too busy climbing the corporate ladder, too busy trying to live out our dreams, too busy trying to find a spouse because we're tired of being single parents, too busy trying to make money so we can get more stuff. Just busy, busy, busy. And there's nothing wrong with any of that stuff, but we miss out on the best stuff, and as a consequence, our children are perching themselves precariously at places that are dangerous to them because nobody is watching somebody say watch the window can I go deeper Uh, the Bible says I'm almost finished up but the Bible says that when he sat on the window he fell he didn't jump he fell which means that he didn't mean to end up where he ended up, dead in the street. He fell. It was by accident. He fell. He didn't mean to do it. I'm trying to get it till it gets in your spirit. He didn't mean to do it. And you know what bothers me in the text is that it seems to me that if, in fact, he was sitting in one place and moved to the window, he ended up perched precariously at that space simply because he was trying to deal with an atmosphere that he didn't even create. And do you not know that there are people who are perched precariously on the edge of spaces and places in life Because they're trying to cope with environments that they didn't even create Okay, y'all not act like you don't know what I'm talking about that young brother with his pants sagging slinging dope on the corner He's not always there because he's interested in poisoning his community But he lives in a poverty-stricken community as daddy's not there the police are on him all the time His schools are substandard schools, and he's just trying his best to cope with an environment that he didn't even create That sister that's sleeping around with all them babies, it's not because she's some out-of-control nymphomaniac. Some of them sisters are just engaged in survival sex. That's just the way that they can put food on the table and help their children make ends. Y'all don't hear me. Come on, we spend so much time criticizing them, but they're just trying to cope with an environment that they didn't even create. And there's a whole lot of people sitting on the edge all because they're trying their best to make ends meet because he was trying his best to negotiate the atmosphere bible says he fell out of the window and the bible says when he fell he died luke says he died and if anybody would know he was dead luke would because he was a physician. I'm trying to quit y'all, but when he thinks I see something, text says he fell out of the window, but what happens next is what shouts me, because the text says that when the boy fell to his death, the church stopped having church and started being the church. Can I preach this like I feel it? Notice what they did not do. The Bible does not say everybody ran to the window. Because that's usually what churches do. When folk fall in prison, or fall out of school, or fall in debt. Come on, when people fall, churches go to the window and say, come here, you ain't going to believe this. Look, look at it. Look, look at that. How'd he get there sitting in this window? He know he had no business sitting in this window. Tried to tell him, look at him now. Look at you. You had no business. That serves you right. Because you know how church folk can be. Pointing fingers of condemnation and criticism. Looking down their noses of snobbery. Judging other people with microscopic criticism. Acting like you ain't never done anything wrong. Truth of the matter is, if you were in the right environment, you don't know what window you would sit in. I'm trying to quit y'all. No. They didn't go. They didn't go to the window. But the Bible says that Paul and the church went to the door. Because the window is for criticism. But the door gives you access to help somebody who's fallen. And you know we have a lot of church. We have six services at my church. But you know my brothers and sisters, one of the things that the church needs to learn how to do is stop having so much church and start being the church. Because you see, my brothers and sisters, the church is more than worship. The church is also work. And if the ministry is ever going to get off the ground, you can't just have one wing. But a bird needs two wings to fly. And if your work and worship were working right then the holy ghost would be the wind beneath your wings am i right about it look at paul in the church they stopped having church long enough to go see about a boy that was in a hopeless situation and the bible says that when they went down the word on him is that there's no hope that the boy is dead And you do understand that there are people in our community that the world has counted out. They have no potential. They have no destiny. They have no future. They have no worth. But I thank God that Paul didn't listen to what he was told. Because the book said, Paul said, move out the way. And the book says he laid over the boy. I don't know what he did, but I think he breathe into him he laid over him and gave him something he needed and then he backed off and said don't worry cuz he's not dead the boy is alive and what we need is more church and church folk who willing to go through the door and lay over somebody come on you got to get close enough to put your arms around him quit rolling up the window quit locking up the doors go on out there and put your arms around them and start breathing into them what do you mean breathe into them (laughs) breathing is the way you talk to them (laughs) tell them i know you dropped out of high school but we got a ged program and we got scholarships for college we don't believe what other people are saying about you we believe you got potential because you are a child of god is telling that single girl that you have a future too and we got enough people in our community to help babysit your children while you go to school or learn a skill it's the kind of church that goes to the prisons goes in the prisons and tell those inmates we don't care if the world treats you like throwaway people, we believe in you. And the reason why we believe in you is because God believes in you. We're not gonna stand in the window and talk about you, but we're gonna walk through the door and come see about you. Is there anybody in here who's tired of standing at the window? Is there anybody in here who's been empowered enough to go down and see about somebody? Well, I'm about to take my seat, but methinks I see one last thing. Because if you look at the text, you can see housed within the story of this fallen boy, redemption's story. Because the Bible says he fell. And the Bible says we fallen. He fell three stories and the three stories can symbolize the three dimensions of time, past, present and future. The Bible says he died from the fall and the book says we were dead in our sins. But then the Bible says that Paul went down three stories to see about him. I know somebody who didn't come down three stories but he came through 42 generations the book says that Paul stretched out over the boy and he was alive Jesus stretched out on Calvary he died didn't he die he didn't swoon he didn't faint He didn't pass out, but he died. He died to make me holy. He died to set me free. And then early Sunday morning. Y'all don't hear me. He got up with all power. And he said, I am he who was dead, but I'm alive. Do you know him? Have you tried him? Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know who holds the future. Life is worth the living. Death is worth the dying. People are worth the serving. Because he lives. If you don't remember anything else I said tonight, please remember this. Don't fall asleep.